how do you advocate for something that's risky, that hasn't been done? Joining me is Vipika Bianchi, an award-winning executive producer. She's pioneered lifestyle powerhouses like Property Brothers and Love It or List It. Her work has been seen around the world on platforms such as HGTV, Food Network, OWN, and many more. Our goal really is to help give opportunities to women creators and help them get their ideas made. And like, and often we look at it as, as ideas that wouldn't otherwise be made. In this episode, we explore the importance of female storytelling, gain insights from her career arc in the entertainment industry, and discuss leadership perspectives that come with age and wisdom. Let's dive in. So Vibika, first of all, thank you for coming into the studio and being with us here today. You have been entertaining the global audiences for three decades now, and you have been a powerhouse for shows that I personally love, Property Brothers, Love It or List It, The List Goes On, Hockey Wives. Um, your latest project has been on Crave, Carolyn Taylor's I Have Nothing, and I have so many questions about this one for you. <laughs> so thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, my first question, as we just kind of go through that backdrop, three decades in the entertainment industry, what was the early start like for you? What was that journey like? What I think was really important and a kind of pivotal moment was when I went to school. I went to Ryerson, now Toronto Metropolitan University. And when I went there and got the chance to really try out the craft, yeah, I knew I was in the right place. And it was very exciting. And, you know, I was a decent student prior to then, but then I became a really good student because I was doing something I loved. And I right. knew that it just was my thing. So mm. got a degree there. And then uh, when I got out of school, I was ready to produce. And, you know, you just don't get a job producing right out of school. So no. I had to work my way up. And um, I actually think that was a gift. What I'm curious about, because those of us who might not be that close to what does it mean to produce? Like when you say, I knew I wanted to produce, like, what does that actually mean? Well, I mean, the truth of producing is that it kind of is a catch-all phrase. It covers so yeah. many different things. But producing is really seeing something to fruition. I think it's ultimately, whether it's your idea or someone else's, it's taking that and seeing it come to life. Yeah. So that is really what the essence of producing is, is like taking something that you have the instinct or, you know, just the gut feeling that there's something to this, seeing, believing in the vision, whether it's yours or someone else's and understanding that vision and then bringing it to life. When you look back and through your childhood, were there any early influences that you were naturally creative? Like, did you have just kind of a knack for it? I think one of the major influences, and this is funny to me still when I say it, but is the Mary Tyler Moore show. Yeah. She was an associate producer and I just thought that's so cool what she's doing. And she just, you know, she was basically a glorified secretary, but she did get to produce. And when she did, it was really neat. Yeah. And yeah. I liked her as a character. And I think that was sort of the, the early motivation. I knew I wanted to do it. Um, I didn't know how to get there. Mm. How do I, this person with no connections and, you know, you really kind of get that message a lot that you need, need to know somebody to get somewhere in this business. And um, I didn't have that. So I, I kind of just looked around for opportunities. I volunteered. I did, I worked in as a production assistant on corporate videos. I did a whole bunch of things. I did Rogers Cable 10, um, we would go in and record the city council meetings. And um, uh, that was a painful, 
painfully long. That's commitment to the craft right and, there. Yeah. But it yeah. was, it was, again, it was building that kind of belief that I knew what I wanted to do and understanding the business more, because I think that's part of my process is I need to, in order to do something, I feel like I have to get a good understanding of it. And that was my way of doing that. What was the arc like from, you know, being an assistant to really starting to have a level of influence and, you know, a seat at the table? There were uh, a couple women that hired me at my first job and they were very much motivated to see me succeed. And so as they were, you know, progressing in their careers, they were looking for opportunities for me. After a while, I started to say, like, can I join and, you know, can I read that script and mm. whatever it was, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, I just, I don't know, I think a lot of people feel that way when you're starting something new, you got to kind of build confidence first, but also I was frustrated for not being able to do it. And I think that is a motivator when you uh -huh. see it happening around you and you're not part of it. Yeah. I just was motivated by that kind of hunger to get involved. And so I would take a risk every once in a while and say, can I join? And, you know, and then eventually I was leading, you know, and. What was that first project that you did lead? I think the one that really stood out for me was, um, it was the David Milgard story. It was mm -hmm. a TV movie for mm -hmm. CTV. Yeah, I got to be involved in a producing capacity and quickly kind of discovered that I knew what I was doing because I've all those years, I guess, of building towards it. And I I took charge to, to a large degree and, um, you know, oversaw the, the kind of execution through to the end. And, you know, we won a Gemini. You know, that was exciting. That was an exciting time. And I really felt that that was, again, sort of reinforcing my gut that this is where I'm supposed to be. When you were starting to get, you know, that spot in your career, and now you're like, no, I'm going to pioneer for, for new, and I'm going to champion for new concepts. Right. How do you advocate for something that's risky, that hasn't been done? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, let's go to that <laughs> moment. And I don't know if it was Property Brothers or if there was a concept um, before that. Love It or List It came before Property Brothers. And well, I think there's, you know, it's interesting because there's sort of different eras of that role, of that commissioning role where you are the one that is, is saying, yes, I'm going to take this forward and get by in internally and, yeah. you know, let's see if we can get it made. Um, but early on, uh, Lever Listed was this project that came around because somebody internally at the channel, not in the programming department, had this idea, mm -hmm. essentially. And that became the, the nugget of it. And then the team, the programming team, uh, myself and two others, really sort of dove in and uh, tried to tr turn this into a concept that made sense. And it feels fairly straightforward now, but it was one of those things that was quite complex to work out some of those details. Yeah. That kind of fell together in a really nice way. It wasn't this, it wasn't met with any resistance. We just were like, we're doing this mm -hmm. and we know there's an idea here. And it was a different era mm. because we really got to play a little bit. We got to kind of use our gut and, you know, we'd been do doing a ton of property programming at that point. So we certainly knew mm -hmm. the marketplace. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, that's how those evolved. And, and again, part of that was also selling those projects both to HGTV US because those originated on W network. Then once it got the US presence, they blow up, of course. Right. Yeah. It's sort of later on where there's that period of time where suddenly it was a lot more people wanted to be part of those decisions and wanted to talk about ROI and wanted to, and mm -hmm. you're going, you know, the truth of the matter is <laughs> there is no guaranteed ROI on these things. You never know what's going to work. Um, 
So it's always an experiment. And I think, you know, I'm going to speak frankly and just say there was a point where that ability to trust the programming team to really go with what they knew, it was sort of very much shifted to a to a bottom line focus and how can we guarantee a hit. Was it a reflection of the times or do you think it's a function of success? To be honest with you, I, I think it's a mixture mm -hmm. because I think the success brought more attention. I think it also was, you know, just a shift in terms of how the business was run. Yep. All of those things kind of conspired to create a, a little, a different model for how we made decisions. And in my last couple of years there, we were doing math around these green light decisions. Right. And okay, I'll do your math, but it's not going to tell you anything. It's no guarantee. <laughs> There's you know no guarantee. I mean? No guarantee. I mean, I will say just going back to your previous question on one of the projects that was really kind of that took a little bit more work to, to sell through. And that was um, Undercover Boss Canada, which we did yeah. the Canadian version of. And it was actually a CTV that had the American version. And so they would have been the incumbent to have the Canadian version and they passed on it. And uh, I think CBC had also passed on it. And, you know, this little cable channel was like, got this opportunity to do this relatively big, you know, network show. Yeah. And the way to do that for me had became to build buy-in individually. Okay. Before you have that meeting. Understanding their concerns. And making sure we say, yes, we will, ha that will happen. We'll do that. We'll take care of that. So what's fascinating about what you're talking about is this kind of consensus building and then having the courage to kind of present in a larger uh, team meeting. Was there ever a point in your tenure where you didn't feel like you needed to do that that much? I feel that way now in my career, but it became trickier to do that in that corporate environment mm -hmm. where, again, we were doing math to decide on green lights. It just wasn't, uh, to me, that was... You know, that's part of, that is the main reason why I left was that it was, it felt like it was getting in the way of the creativity, of the art, of the instinct. And I really, I stress instinct. And I think instinct is something that you earn and you, you gain over years of doing the thing and mm -hmm. studying and just knowing your craft so well. I want to kind of evolve a little bit and talk about what you're up to today. Can you share a little bit about some of the work you're doing today? as it relates to Catalyst. And we'll talk a little bit about kind of women and content creation yeah, for women. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to give a little bit of background first, which is that when I was, when I was at E1, I started also working for this nonprofit organization called After Me Too, which was an advocacy for women who were um, women and people in the workplace who mm -hmm. had experienced uh, sexual harassment and sexual abuse and misconduct. And um, it was a brand new charity and I helped kind of build it and turn it into a charity, in fact. And it's gut-wrenching work. And, you know, you're competing against this vast array of charities that need the money, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's rewarding in the sense that it's now a wonderful website where people can go to and get help if they're experiencing that and not just an entertainment business, by the way. So I was doing the TV work and the charity work and then the pandemic hit and, you know, I found myself trying to figure out what I wanted to do next and came across um, this fellow producer, Julie Bristow, that I've always wanted to work with. And we actually the very last meeting before the pandemic was the two of us at a, you know, having coffee saying we should work together. And then lockdown happened. And oh, wow. So we were like, oh. <laughs> um, so we stayed in touch and we kept talking. And she had this idea to, to start a company that was about um, creating 
content uh, made by women and giving opportunity to women. And because in this industry, it still is a disadvantage. Mm. And so I was like, I am in, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, like count me in. So I've been with her since the early days and it's been three years now that we've been in, uh, in business. And um, our goal really is to help give opportunities to women creators and help them get their ideas made. And like, and often we look at it as, as ideas that wouldn't otherwise be made, you know, and that's such a rewarding and exciting place to be. When you do give women a chance, is there anything in that dynamic that you have a unique perspective on? Like I see it in entrepreneurship, but I'm just curious of when someone does say, oh my goodness, you believe in our ideas. Like what has been your experience believing in the female Uh, content creator? Honestly, I feel like there is a lot of gratitude. just appreciation for this opportunity that is giving women a kind of advantage mm-hmm. uh, that normally doesn't exist. So I see that. I think I see a lot of women kind of going up oh, and dying to, you know, take this to somebody, but didn't know who it would be until I heard about you. You know, mm-hmm. that is definitely coming up. People are feeling like there's a place for them, you know, and I think that's part of what we want to do as a company, as an organization is creating sisterhood and and being there for each other and supporting each other. Well, I was on the website and I was checking out the Docs for Change initiative that Mm -hmm. you have in partnership with Nix. Mm -hmm. Would you mind just kind of giving a bit of a backdrop on what that is and uh, where you guys are at in the project? We're working with Nix on this initiative that is really geared towards feature documentaries Mm -hmm. by women creators again. Again, a, a space where there hasn't been a ton of opportunity. It's also really tough to make feature documentaries. And you'll talk to any woman who makes feature documentaries, even if it's their 10th one, they're often doing it on their own dime and, you know, just in their spare time and trying to figure out how to make that happen um, because you're, you have to kind of prove it before it's bought. Mm. It's often the case that men are given the chance by just talking loud about the idea and knowing the right people. Women have to prove it. Um, we are, while we can't completely eliminate that need to prove, there still needs to be some work to be pitching something. What we're looking at it as is an opportunity to say, I believe in you. You know, you have a great track record. You've done some amazing work. Your idea, you're very passionate about it. You know your idea. Let's go. Yeah. Um, no, you don't have to make it first and then we'll buy it after. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you can actually be there from the beginning and help a filmmaker make their project from the beginning. So with a lot of these submissions, have you noticed a kind of cultural themes on what's coming in? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, first off, I'll say we had over 50 submissions and from all kinds of creators. Um, and uh, it's really exciting and such great work. So it was really, really very moving to see the amount of ideas that were coming in and the level and the quality of the work was also really impressive. Mm. Yeah, there were four um, themes that we kind of could see throughout the various submissions. And the first was um, women's health, Mm -hmm. everything from, uh, you know, mental health to um, reproductive health. Women's rights and advocacy. So again, abortion rights, everything, you know, to do with women um, and various rights that are still not granted to women in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. 
the third was climate change. And uh, again, I think we've seen that a lot of women are very, um, yeah, kind of concerned and, and motivated to help in that cause. And then the last was wisdom and aging. And, uh, and that was really interesting. There was a lot of kind of really interesting ideas about how often women are, are kind of sidelined um, over 50. Uh, and that there is a whole lot more there that we are just not tapping into. Well, this is the one we're going to tap into. I am, <laughs> I've been itching to talk about the wisdom. So I'm 45. I think I am feeling this year, I am feeling like I am moving into the chapter of, I think thirties for me was, there was a lot of ambition. Mm -hmm. I would say proving energy. Yeah. Something changed for me at 45. Right. I found that I was like, well, if it's not now, when? Right. First thought, if I don't do it now, wait, what am I waiting for? That uh -huh. was kind of this rising up. Then I had this, you know, realization that I think I've been caught in this pattern of like, well, somebody else must know more and better. But I think you get to a certain age of like, no, I'm kind of the adult here. Like, mm -hmm. you've, been, mm -hmm. you've seen enough. Mm -hmm. It's time to step into it. This as we is why we're talk here, about, right? Yes, yes, we could talk about wisdom. Um, for you, mm -hmm. as you think about aging and wisdom, what are some shifts that you've found inside of yourself that have impacted you professionally? I'm sure I'm not even going to begin to scratch the surface, but I'll do my best here and say that there are a few things that stand out for me. Um, one is is kind of knowing what battles to choose, mm -hmm. knowing where your energy is best spent and not like just walking away from the stuff that's just not worth it because um, you're not going to win every battle. Um, I think that's been really, really important for me is just... Mm. And not also putting the pressure on yourself to know everything, to, to complete everything, to succeed at everything, to whatever. It's just not going to happen. Um, and if you you do that, you start to spread yourself too thin. So it really is about focusing, I think. It's about giving yourself that permission to choose and to be selective about where your best results are going to come from where your where the biggest reward is going to come from where your satisfaction is going to come from where you're going to feel like you're going to succeed in the sense of this matches my the gifts that i have to give i keep hearing the word in my head discernment as you talk about mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. because discernment is the art of being able to see many many things mm -hmm. at the same time right that your ability to really put the energy and the right kind of energy into things. I think you get so much better at that. And why wouldn't you want to use that? That's a gift. And I think also we're really good at, um, I think we just have a better understanding at this age. I guess we don't underestimate the uh, power of charisma and passion yeah. as we communicate and narrate our visions and tell our stories. If you were to kind of look back on that early PA assistant and think about your arc, what would you have told her? First, I would say you'll get there. Hmm. Trust. 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 Keep going. Move forward. You'll get there. Don't resent the seemingly menial jobs that feel like they are slowing down your progress to getting there because 
as I was saying before, producing is a job that really covers so many different things. And the more you know about how what it takes to make something, I think the better producer you are. Yeah. You just have a better understanding of the picture and what it takes and how people's roles work and all of that. And I think, you know, just value each of those um, experiences as part of a building block to mm -hmm. what you're going to be. And then I think the other thing I say is that you're going to, when you're in your early career, you're going to be given projects before you get to make your own um, that you're not getting. You're like, oh, find something to love in it. Yeah. If you can find something to love in it, you're going to make a great show. And what's exciting you about what's next? Like what's, what's, what's in the horizons? What's the vision for you uh, for 2024? Well, <laughs> It's such a loaded question when I Well, ask you know people. what? I mean, the truth is we want to do another season of I Have Nothing. And oh, it's yeah? going to be a totally different adventure. And so stay okay. tuned. So okay. we're in the process of trying to see if we can get that happening. Um, I've got some other projects that I'm really excited about in the documentary true crime space. Mm. Yeah, really what I feel excited about just personally, not just the projects, is just I feel more connected. I feel like at this stage in my career, I'm more connected to these projects. I am very hands-on. I'm very involved. I'm very collaborative. I'm part of that process more than maybe I had previously been um, helping to elevate other people's projects. Now I feel like I'm part of that team more. Yeah. And um, my voice is part of that, what you'll finally see on screen. And uh, so there's something about finding ownership, I think, also happening at this point. Point how, how does it feel telling your story here today? That's good, actually. <laughs> a lot less scary than I thought it would be. <laughs> Listen, like, I'm afraid. I'm like, the, the executive producer is like on the show and oh my gosh. You not know, at all. You're doing... Not at all. You guys have a great thing going here. It feels oh. really good. And it feels like, you, thank you for making me feel comfortable. And yeah, because you're doing a great job. And I really do like, I, you know, I've been listening to your show and it's like, you've got a lot of wisdom to share too. So I know doing this yeah every week i feel like i'm in a master class of growing and evolving as a human to do this so well yeah i can only say and i'm genuinely mean this that you belong here you are doing what you should be doing and you're doing an incredible job and you are natural oh thank you vivica if people want to find you where's the best resource for them to follow along so you can reach out at, at our website which is catalystforcreators.com yeah. yeah um instagram Okay. Vivica B. Okay. And we'll link everything into the show notes. Yeah. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you, Vivica, for being on the show. This Pleasure. has been an amazing treat. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn, where we transform the wisdom from our podcast into practical tips, tools, and takeaways for your leadership journey. Find us at grit.grace.podcast. See you next week.